This is episode 25 of Spokes with cinematographer Caleb Crossan. You're listening to the Red Bicycle Media Spokes Podcast, a show about the experiences of a film production house and the people they work with in the film industry, with your host, James Pizarro. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Spokes. We are glad you can make it in today. Thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. Uh, this is producer Christian, and uh, we, as always, we are excited to bring you amazing episodes, amazing people on, and uh, this guy is no different. So you may have heard his name. If you're in the Cleveland area, you are, might be familiar with his work. Actually, if you're a Cavs fan, you're definitely going to be familiar with his work um, because he's done work with Reebok, done work with progressive and if you've been to a Cavs game I mentioned that because if you notice the player introduction videos um, most of them have been done uh, with Caleb behind the camera so uh, really cool stuff definitely check it out if you search for it online um, you can see some of the stuff that um, I know another company uh, does one of the intro videos too but um, if you go on Caleb's site which he'll mention at the end of the show uh, you'll you'll be able to see um, some of the uh, projects he's been on, including the calf stuff. So uh, he joins us today. He's a freelance photographer out of Cleveland, and we're going to talk about things to consider things to consider as a DP. We're going to talk about consistency of um, getting your shot. Uh, films that inspired not only Caleb, but um, James as well on why they wanted to become DPs or get into film in the first place. So a really fun interview. Again, if you're interested in becoming a DP or want to improve your DP game. Um, So please enjoy this one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Caleb Crossan. Tell me a little bit about your background. What brought you into uh, uh, filmmaking in general? Yeah, totally. So um, I, uh, when I was in... Uh, high school, I uh, got into like a vocational, a vocational like art program. Um, I found out that I liked kind of just playing with Photoshop, uh, just like anyone else kind of did. I was able to kind of get a copy of it, uh, probably illegally at the time, onto my computer. What, what and... a pirated copy? Nobody's ever done that. <laughs> um, so uh, doing that and that, you know, pushed me into... Um, this kind of art vocational class, and there I got to play with a lot of different uh, different th- things on the computer. I got to play with the Adobe Suite, and 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 a lot more had kind of opened up to me to what I thought art arts were necessarily like in high school, which was just painting and things like that. Um, so while I was there, an instructor had said, "Hey, you should look at Bowling Green for their art program." At the time, I had also started getting into some like 3D animation, actually, and again had probably pirated a, a copy of Maya. Um, oh, okay. Onto, uh-huh. uh, onto like Gateway 2000, uh, and uh, got a book out at the library and started learning Maya uh, essentially at home. And that instructor was like, "Go to Bowling Green. They're having they're they're developing their animation program." Uh, and they have resources, you should go check it out. Um, So I did, I submitted my portfolio, I got in. Um, After a year of just trying to do 3D animation, I was like, this is is not it. This is, I'm spending a week on 30 seconds. This is just getting, is this really what I wanna do? And kind of having a little bit more uh, come to Jesus moments of, is this really for me? 
I wanted to tell stories more immediate. And um, there was another instructor there um, that kind of, uh, I had had a conversation with, that, hey, I'm developing kind of a video uh, chunk of this program. Would you like to do that? At the time, I was kind of in this existential moment where I was like, do I change my major? Does it set me back? What do I end up doing? Do I want, I kind of am interested in film. I kind of chase after that. And she was like, help me kind of uh, develop this a little bit. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. So she kind of developed this video part of uh, the digital art um, program that I was in. I have a, a digital art degree. And uh, from there, I picked up a film minor. And when I picked up the film minor, I meet uh, three other, two to three other kids uh, that really, I think, was like my... Uh, like, I don't want to say like film school, but like you, you, that, that, you catch the bug. You just need like filmmaking is such a collaborative thing, which I think is why I like it so much. Um, that like once I could get with two or three other like-minded people and say, hey, like there wasn't, nobody was a director, nobody was a DP, everyone, we were just coming together to say, let's make some cool things. Um, and we started doing that and pushing a lot of the property we would get in some of our film classes to be a lot weirder or to be, uh, different, or um, we would kind of bend the rules a little bit, maybe of what we were going to do, uh, and uh, that really kind of put this 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 kind of bug into me. I end up graduating, and when I graduate, this is like in the beginning of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, when like the collapse is just happening. So like no one is hiring anyone. And uh, I ended up moving out to Boston with uh, my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And she got a job at Reebok and I hit the pavement just trying to find things in Boston and could not find anything. Um, and uh, luckily um, I had uh, a friend at Bowling Green that actually had worked at Think and was leaving. And um, we had gotten into, I had contacted Think and, um, because they he since he was leaving they had put out a post to say, you know we we need another videographer um, at the time and I sent in my stuff and they were like, this is great you should come in tomorrow and I was like I'm in Boston and they were like whoa okay well maybe we'll figure something out um, I ended up having another phone interview and leaving and coming back to Cleveland from Boston and uh, from there from from starting at Think. Uh, you know, that was like, that was, I think the beginning of like what I would say like film school is essentially. Think at the time was quite, was was smaller and uh, like it was all just camcorder based. Uh, they had a few projects under their belt that were really, really nice. And the other thing that I think is great about timing is around this time, you have the 5D revolution kind of happening. Um, also, that's kind of happening. So everyone is starting to discover this and they're starting to get 70s and they're starting to get 5Ds. And um, that whole, uh, world is kind of breaking open to where you're really starting to, you, you have the opportunity, I think, to start learning, or I had the opportunity to learn more uh, aspects of cinematography that you that's harder to learn with like a camcorder. Um, elements of like depth of field, you know, like that 5D was a full frame sensor. So now you're thinking about things in terms of like what 35 mil film really is. Um, and I think that was one of the big things like when I was in school was like, you could find people that had good stories, but it was hard to find people that actually could like shoot it right. And I didn't even know what like shooting it right meant. In my mind, it was just like, it doesn't look like a movie. 
look like a movie. I want my shit to look like a movie. <laughs> right. You know? Exactly. Like, so it, that, it became, that what, that's what it kind of became is like, I learned how to just make my own things look more like a movie. And when I got into Think and uh, the 5Ds kind of came out, we ended up getting some documentary projects that uh, some light bulbs kind of went off where it was like, oh, I, I see now where where things need to be. I see now um, uh, how things uh, kind of work uh, to get certain effects. And one of the, I think the greatest things uh, about being there, especially in that the, the beginning of like learning and, and everything is the fact that you could shoot. Uh, I could shoot for like a few days on a project and then go to the edit bay because there would be no, maybe I would have a down day. So the, all the footage would be in an edit bay and I could look and just sit behind the editor and say, wow, they're not using any of that. Why did I put the camera there? What was that? Why, what, why did I do that? You know? And then, or I could say, oh no, that, wow, these shots really cut together well. I could see that. I could see being over here at this angle and then there's that, that feel right. I need to take note of that if it's, if I'm ever in this type of scenario again. So I would start to take mental notes of, of what was kind of happening uh, in the edit bay and I could take that and then move it to the next project. Um, and that was, that helped a ton. Uh, that was huge um, for kind of my development. And I would say that that's probably my, my first like three, four years at Think was just kind of getting that held down before we start getting projects where I can like really sink my teeth into in the sense where I'm not like a videographer where I'm like just putting a camera up and and having light come up but I'm really being way more of a cinematographer where there's a lot more pre-production and I'm being way more uh um uh descriptive about what I'm really trying to capture what I'm really trying to focus on um and this is also a time when I think, you know, in Cleveland, in smaller markets, you have a lot more uh, producer directors, you know what I mean? A lot more people that wear kind of both hats. Uh, and um, as I would start to kind of get bigger and better, better kind of projects, you would, that would kind of divide where you would have like a, just a producer and just a director. And when I was a director, having those conversations uh, with them uh, became uh, became very big. And that's, I think, where you start to learn. Uh, you start to you start to learn, like, as a filmmaker, how, how to really, like, what you like, what your sensibilities are, and what you want to kind of go after uh, when you ha start having those conversations with directors about uh, what they see and what you want to kind of capture and where you want to go. Um, well, that was did, a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, actually, that, that, that uh, goes over the evolution of how I think a, yeah. lot of, a lot of us went that way once the uh, large sensor and wow, this is what shallow depth of field looks like. And this is what 24P looks like um, yeah. know, with shallow depth of field. I think that was literally the first uh, time that became accessible to everybody. So what was your, yeah. pro what was your process in, in saying, wow, you know, if I put better glass in front of this, this might look better, or were you were you playing with anything? Were you just using EOS glass, or were you experimenting with the? You remember the Letus um, adapters and all those other things for shallow oh, depth yeah. of field? Were totally. You, yeah. Oh my gosh, the the yeah the the Letus adapters were like you you'd need so much light, so much light, um, and. Uh, but I I remember them. I remember uh, I had a friend in college that was like building one, and it had like a vibrating ring on the inside of it, uh, so that it was it was a wacky wacky thing um but yeah i totally remember those um the 
Hold on, what was your question? No, 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 I know. I'll reset. You said lettuce. It just brings, it conjures up that. And uh, oh, totally. Well, (laughs) I just remember this contraption of like, oh, I I should be very accessible with this damn thing. Um, (laughs) I should be very mobile with this thing. But (laughs) how how did? uh, uh, Tell me what your like how you experimented with lenses, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit lighting and everything. Like, what did you use stock lenses or did you find? Tell me what your process was there. Um, I think everything comes out of, uh, every, I think everything's built out of necessity. Okay. Um, so like for your first hurdle of necessity that you're getting over, I think on most projects is like money, you know, how much money you got for the project? What do you, what do you got? You know? So, uh, if, if there is, if things are going to be limited, then you're going to just be what either you own or what you could like get just around. So you you hit it right on the head. A lot of it was like, um, uh, L series, uh, zooms, you know, um, I would get, I remember like literally, I think I would roll up and have a 24 to 105. Um, and that could be just like my, yeah, just whatever I needed to kind of get, get through with whatever I needed to get through. But then, um, things that I I think was really interesting is when the 5d had first come out, there was another DP in town that we had borrowed it from. And the only thing that he had with it was a a 50, a Zeiss 50. And I think that that was one of the big things with also that the 5d is that, holy shit, you can put like fast glass on this thing and you could just like see in the dark, like open it up to a one four and there you go. So um, we had a project with Playhouse Square where it was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to get light. Who knows, you know, what it's going to be. Uh, so I was like, all right, get, get the Zeiss 50. It needs to be fast. Let's do it. This is a necessity. Um, so we did it. And uh, after seeing like, whoa, holy crap, look at the shallow depth of field. Whoa, look at look at how much sharper and how much more this lens resolves over A24 to 105. Um, so you start to see those things kind of back and forth as, again, I'm looking over the shoulder of an editor, seeing that 24 to 105 being cut with that 50 you notice the nuance of these things, especially in faces um, of people. So once you start to know these kind of little elements and little things, now I can make arguments. Now I can actually go when project, actually we, when they're like something that we, I actually care about, when I know like another director cares about, um, let's make an argument. Hey, it, it, this, is a, this is a really good project. What if we got for it what if we got something that was a little bit nicer so i would put rents little just little things like hey for this project i maybe need like three or four uh primes you know if maybe it's not a full set just like a few and now i could get away with it and still get that look um but kind of keep the price down and we would do that for a little while and think invested in um they invested in a, a, a set of zeiss uh zf primes that we got them um uh, modded so that I could have focus rings on them. And I lived on those for a long time. Uh, I made those feel like different lenses whenever I could. I would put uh, filters in front of them. I would dirty up filters. I would take like clear, clear uh, flats UVs, and I would yep. put, exactly. And I'll just put, uh, I would smear my own way or I would uh, try and do anything I could to put my own thumbprint if the project called for it and there wasn't money for it. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, as again, just like as anything time goes by and we started to kind of get into nicer lenses. Um, but it was kind of a, let's kind of make the argument. And I feel like, um, 
I really tried. That's something that I think I really tried to do. I knew that a lot of people were going to do the L series or just use, um, you know, things that were easily available because you turn it on and they don't see a difference. It's like, oh, you know, this is a nice, nice lens. It's just captures what I need to capture and, and let's move on. And I got into the habit of kind of sitting down with directors and saying, what do you feel? Like, show me your reference so that we can see and pick this apart. And is it, does it, is it tack sharp? And is there like, is it, you know, um, you know, so crystal clear, you know, or, you know, are the edges a little hazy? You know, does that, is there a feeling to that? You're referencing this movie a lot. This movie is using this specific type of thing. What if we looked into that? What's the price on it? Or, you know, how can we get in? How can we do that? So you start asking those questions, I think, and it creates a dialogue. And I think that that's kind of how I would approach like lensing. I think I'm always, I'm always coming at it from where, what am I looking at first? What are the nuances of where I'm going to be? Just like what I was saying before with like the 50, man, I have, I come into areas all the time. Like there's a project that I have right now coming up where um, it's, uh, it's like a real estate thing um, where I'm pushing for it to be anamorphic so that I can get a wider field of view so I can see way more of the space. Um, in doing that, though, I'll probably shoot at a higher stop so that I could see deeper into that background. So just making decisions to try and force the view more unconsciously into the world you're trying to put them in you know what i mean and lensing is 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 very big in that so don't you feel though that the because i still use both and i find that uh, yeah. whatever project calls for what and sometimes i'm damn hard pressed to say there's a huge freaking difference like, i'm sure you shot with everything and and for me it it, it obviously what the story calls for first and foremost uh, B yeah. cost obviously is, is in there, and and Huge. really really see how how easy I could get from setup to setup, and you know that there's that time thing, right? That which ties into cost. So how do yeah. you have you have you also seen that there's almost that law of diminishing returns as far as lenses that they're all they're all pretty damn good right now, especially the fast glass, or I think Sigma does a wonderful job. Is there any glass yes. that you're using in particular that you like? If you were to own a set and just say, you know, here's here's several thousand dollars, and you had to buy non-cinema glass, and I'll ask you about that. Which would you buy? Oh, non-cinema. Yeah. If I if I was going to get non-cinema glass. Yep, yep, yep. First, let's go with that question first. Like, if you were going to get, you had to use photo lenses, and then you were going to adapt them to cinema. Which one? Would you, is there a particular uh, brand that you'd be interested in getting that you worked with? Um, at they had to be stills. Uh, let's think. Um, you you know, I mean, I would probably, in all honesty, I would go with uh, Canon FDs, uh, Canon. Um, uh, yeah, I would I would do like the, those are those are really nice. Or I would do uh, the Zeiss ZFs um, or the like. Uh, I know that those these uh, those three sets aren't necessarily the most uh, budget friendly. Um, necessarily, they're still like, as far as like a stilled glass is concerned, a little bit like a, a, up there, um, but they resolve. They're really nice. I've never used the Sigma Art gla glass, but I've heard nothing but wonderful things about it. I follow uh, Matthew Duclos. I oh, don't yeah. know if you know him. Oh, yeah, he's of like a, yeah. He's so like the, the he's guru a with lens. <laughs> he's a user. Like oh, I he's great. He's a huge fan of those Sigma Art lenses. Really, really likes them. Um, and I take a lot of what he says to heed. So I, yeah, I would, I would probably look at those. Um, 
and then I would maybe see if I could find a used set maybe of the other ones. Um, well, the, yeah. the, the FD uh, glass is, um, you know, baby K35s, if you will. Uh, you know, you could have yeah. a set for 18,000. They're up on Red User right now in case you're interested, so. Oh, for real, the FDs? Yeah, 18,000. Oh, okay. But, you know, I mean, for, 18, that's one lens, right? <laughs> but that's, it's, he's got five lenses up there for that. And I go, it's not the worst deal, it's, but it's, uh, you know, they're already uh, PL mounted. So that is, oh, well, that, okay. That, that is an I aside. See. You're almost cheating there. It's like, okay, it's basically a, already a cinema, a cinema lens. It is true. I mean, yeah, it's true. It is definitely true. I mean, you bring up a good point, though, in the sense that I like... Uh, um, let you you there is there is definitely truth there where um, these days, especially just with technology, are getting so good um, that I would almost say you could you you could um, you're I don't know how to say this you're better off like you could shoot on just whatever type of glass that you want. I would say I would make an argument to say make sure that you have a colorist <laughs> if you have somebody that knows how to grade like that's i mean really you could almost shoot on anything uh arguably there's some like i said there's some lenses that don't resolve as well as other lenses you know i mean obviously you put a cook s4 up against a rokinon it's not going to be it's going to look you know, different the same it's certainly going to be like it's going to look it's going to look a little different but i would say you know you put a true colorist from like company three grade that rokinon footage you'll think a little bit different about it um so it's it's a I think it's a it's a give and a it's a give and a take, kind of. You can definitely make uh, lenses feel different things, and there's something to be said about modern glass. Deacons does not like vintage glass. He only uses like he wants like to see what he sees, right? Sharp, exactly. Which I totally understand that. I think that that's like what well, we don't see in flair. That. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's also a part of a. <laughs> echelon of dps that like he doesn't have to use filtration because he just makes the environment the filtration that he wants like no one has this ability that they're just like you know i think i just want a little bit of fog you know so i'll just put, you know the filter in front he's like no 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 we're gonna get the thinnest fog in this whole thing because he's roger deacons and he can ask for that so oh he can ask for or a at lot. least i assume <laughs> he can ask for a lot <laughs> so Caleb, what's your what's your process when when a client approaches you and um God, we could, I swear, we could do just an episode one day on just the real because we're. I struggle with that because it's not the most fun thing to put up. Because if you're like, if you're like me, anything you shoot, even two weeks ago, you're like, oh, that just that, that doesn't make oh, the totally. grade, right? You just, I, I don't know anybody who says, well, I shot that five years ago and I'm still proud of it. You're like, oh man, I just don't want to show it. So, what is your process when you're dealing with uh, a clients on on a do you think if look at your reel or do you offer them uh you know lookbook or instances and like you said you discuss that with a producer or director um what do you like to know going in before you are ready to shoot and what gear you're going to need because i'm going to assume gear aside it's not the gear <laughs> i i really want to know about your process when you're interacting with the uh director or the uh, producer with the producer yeah um I think uh, when I get when I get something from a director or producer, I think one of the biggest things uh, that at least initially uh, off the bat that I look for is I want to know their feeling on it. I want to know uh, if they're. I mean, it's it, you get bills uh, based on somebody coming up to you and saying like, you know, okay, so it's just a mayonnaise commercial. We got this, this, and this, and it's this and this pretty tells me that tone of voice like okay you know i'm i'm at this level or it's that versus 
are uh, uh, what is it a um, uh, a commercial that is you know it's we have a product in there but we're not selling product we're sell you know it's it's this person that's interacting with it, and there's feels like it could be this way and it could be that way and they have they're already having little uh, they're firing off little ideas of feeling might be or what this might be how that's a different feeling where I'm like okay this this is this could be a different this could be something that we could be more creative we could go this way or we could go that way and I think one of the things that I love to do at least um, with my process is um, uh, I actually have a question for you which I'll get to later but one one of them is uh, uh, is just movies themselves okay so finding some even if it's that mayonnaise commercial and saying, okay, so we have this, you know, whatever. What does it want to feel like? Is there a music video? Is there a movie? Is there a thing that like it, it, a world that we're living in? You know what I mean? I, I, I think that what we shoot at times can be very mundane. Um, it can be the same thing, you know, which is totally fine. Um, but if I can give it uh, if if I can kind of be in connection with the director based on like, oh yeah, there's this look that Wes Anderson had that like we're, we'll try and go after with, with this product thing, you know, and, and, and we'll fight for that. And there's a springboard kind of that's based in something that I really adore, we'll chase after that and I'll go after that. And I'll use that a lot at, for like, this is how the camera might move. This is how I want my lensing and maybe my framing to be. These are all just like roundabouts because um, I think a lot of things change once you get to a location, you get into the will of that location. Going in and have, be having that ability to dream with people a little bit beforehand and say, it could be this, it could be that. And you can do that even with a very small budget, you know, that you could be surprised at how many kind of creative solutions you kind of come up with before you kind of get to that scout to say, oh, it could be this or it could be that. And I think that that is something that I really, really love. Um, I love going back to what got me into this, which is movies, um, which is like uh, that cinematic language. I think something that I'm constantly trying to trying to go after is how can I communicate better with the camera? You know, how can I already put somebody in that place or give them that feeling because I get those feelings when things. And when I get those feelings, I pick them apart to say, why am I feeling that? Why did this push make me feel that way? Why? Is it the lens? Is it the light? Is it there, there are things in here? It's probably, is it the color? Um, and I try and take a lot of that and move that into the commercial work um, that I'm, that, I, that I'm doing. And I try a lot of this are, a lot of these things I think are spitballs initially that I'm throwing in front of that director to say, I think it could be this, this thing if I'm Inspiring, and they'll back at me of films that they like, things that they like, commercials that they like, and we start to develop this. Uh, that is kind of, I think, what kind of will lead me down the line to write a, a rolling and making decisions on set, you know, based on that. So that I think that that's a little bit of the, uh, my process. You know, there's an argument too that you need, um, uh, like for example, if you're shooting awesome things, it's almost you know, it's hard to mess it up, so to speak. It's harder to make mundane things look amazing and everyday, oh. er, everyday things. That's But that's our challenge usually. Like, oh, we're going to do a pencil commercial and we want you to make yep. that awesome. And so you have to yep. think about how, how you're doing that. Um, 100%. Which, which I think is always difficult. What then once you get to once you get to on set and you're shooting things, 
Um, a little bit of technical, and then I, I, you know, we're jumping all over, but I got, I, well, I run all these things. That's just how it is. You know, I, I don't, I'm not so damn structured because that's really how conversation occurs. Uh, yeah. when, when you're on set then, do you, do you have a preference of, and this is an asked question a lot, but what's your process of monitoring for exposure or what you're looking at or, you know, the general feel that you know you're where you need to be? Um, I th as far as like general exposure, I think is getting to, that's something that like I've, I've already thought about that ahead of time and I'm bending to whatever God is giving me on that day. So if I'm like outside, all right, you know, I know I'm looking for this stop. So, uh, and I'll tell my gaffer that, Hey, it's this stop. This is what I'm, this is what I'm fighting for. Let's fight real hard for that. You know what I mean? And I'll get as close as I can. If it's something that can be super controlled, um, then I know, then I'll be way, way more critical about kind of trying to meet that. And I'll know where my ratios are. I'll know where, where, where I want my ambience to maybe be in my background, where my, where I want my key to be in my foregrounds. Um, and maybe what that fill side might want to, to be, um, depending on whether or not they're stationary or if they're traveling. Do you have um, your own monitor or are you metering or what are you doing? So, uh, something that it's, you asked that, wow, this is amazing. So I 100%. Uh, will always have my uh, light meter with. Um, these days, monitors are so good that, yeah, you can just kind of go in, but I want to know my numbers. I want to know that I'm in a ballpark and that th things correctly. When I was at Think, Think got a beautiful 17-inch uh, Flanders Scientific um, that uh, I trusted so, so much. Um, and... Uh, when I left, that was one of the first things that I invested in was a new Flanders scientific monitor um, that I can just know that is just true. So that is uh, between my light meter uh, that I can go through and check all of my kind of pools of light or any sort of area that I'm, I'm seeing within camera uh, and the false color within um, within the Flanders. That is kind of I'm, I'm going back and forth between those two worlds to see where I'm kind of lining up. Um, and living in. And again, that's like, I'll get very specific about, um, you know, what I'm want, what I want to see on as far as like what that bokeh might look in the background. Um, and I mean, just, and you know, this too, like the, how fast you have to work on set and how quick things might be, um, that might change a little bit. I might have to bend a little bit and, and, and open up here or, or stop down there or adjust um, to kind of accommodate, but I think that that is also a part of being a really great DP or really being a good cinematographer is being able to kind of adjust to those weird nuances that happen on set that don't know what's going to happen. I think that's probably the one thing that gives me the most anxiety is like, it's not necessarily like you, you have everything planned, you get through your pre-production, but just the things where you think to yourself, like, what, <laughs> like, what is going to happen that's going to derail you know in, in the sense where it's like all right so you know you have to move the follow focus just went down this still wants to be a push but what are you going to do you have two minutes to figure that out you know uh and so starting to create solutions and to start delegating things uh to the crew that you have around you um can be kind of another uh, 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 another tool to the job too well i'm sure you feel that um the, the most important people that I want to crew are a bunch of troubleshooters and guys who won't whine. It, it, like things are going to go yeah. down. Batteries are going to die. Cords are going to yep. fail. 
You just want yep. people who can fix it and fix it with a smile, I say, and just get it done and not, it's you know, true. they can't hold their hands up. Well, I can't. No, that's not an option. You got to let's figure it out and yeah. uh, not fail. Uh, do, do you find then, uh, I think some of the hardest things to do is anybody I say can get a good frame, right? How do you get yeah. that good frame to be consistent in your one minute, 30 second piece or your, you know, uh, 30, 90 minute feature, correct? Is, is there a, a process that you try to use to stay consistent? Are you, do you keep that mindful? Because so many times we've shot things and have mm -hmm. seen that, gosh, damn it, this is just not, it looks like this is a totally different piece. It doesn't, it doesn't meld together. Are, oh, like, yeah, like the cohesiveness of it right. is not, is a little bit more tricky. Yeah, exactly. Is there um, a, certain I, things you use or are you using references from a previous day or previous, uh, what are you doing? I'm interested to see what you do there. Um, I think that that is, it's probably a few things. I mean, you're living, I think you're living with, uh, you have your LUTs, um, that, that you use. I mean, you have your, exactly, you have your numbers of, of like, you know, what, what's your, your color temperature going to be. Uh, another thing might be your, your shutter angle. That's like another really weird thing that makes you feel different, um, things. Um, I guess as far as like consistency is concerned, uh, you, I, I like in, in, in what you're talking about, like with Ozark, um, I feel like one of the things that I really like to do is create rules um, where like, say, for, yeah, for example, like it's always going to be for that. That's it. No matter what, it's going to be for that. We're going to live within that net. And, and you start to create little nuances where that rule, that restriction breeds creativity. Um, like, have you ever seen, uh, what is it? Um, Dang, it was a movie that came out two or three years ago. Uh, Call Me By Your Name. Is that what it is? Um, Who's in it? Oh, man. I, I know. It's unfair. Unfair. But yeah. I, it's two. Uh, there's there one. Don't stress. We'll, anyway, ed we'll edit out they, if necessary. They, <laughs> <laughs> I'll look it up. I'm pretty sure it's uh, Call Me By Your Name. They, uh, they shot the entire movie on one Cook S35. S4, 35, uh, 35 mil. That's a, like that, but that it's awesome. You watch that movie, and I, I would never, I would never know. The, the close-ups feel great. The wides feel great. Everything feels great. It's a, it's a simple story, um, but I feel like that's, but that's something where I love that people asked that question, where it was like, um, do we really need? this and this and this what if it was just that what would that breed what would that do you know i mean obviously 1917 there's no cuts what would that do how would you feel like asking that question so i think uh by making certain rules with certain things you put yourself in a in some uncomfortable situations but to your point i think that that can help kind of uh, give you some some consistency across the board, but then also kind of differentiate yourself from maybe what else is out there and what else, what other people are doing. Well, I'm convinced if you have a Blackmagic uh, uh, 4K and just a 50, you know, manual lens, you probably can do some great things because that's I think restriction actually breeds um, uh, creativity. And I think, yeah, as you know, when you have a, a kit full of lenses and all this gear, all these lights and you spend more time messing with those than actually like creating, which I think I'm sure you've run into that. Oh yeah. You, you get, I mean, it, you run into, uh, I think, especially with just like technology, I think these days um, you run into, and I feel like also a lot of people that are up and coming 
uh, will find this out as I did. Uh, like what is a tool that's right for the job versus a tool that's not right for the job. Um, and things that you might think will make the job easier might actually be a little bit tricky. So for example, like gimbals, gimbals are like such a huge like thing and they can make your life so easy. You can steal some pretty amazing shots and make it look like it was steady cam or it was a crazy crane or you can do some wacky things, but they're also incredibly finicky and they're hard to balance. And you gotta be careful about how much weight you put on them and you have to have a lot. There's a lot more that kind of goes around. So there's, there's a real give and a take. I've been on sets where I've been looking at pieces of gear and thinking like, I, it's not this, it should have been that really should have been this other thing because I could have gotten X, Y, and Z. And right now I'm really settling with just, but that's fine. Um, and that's part of, I think, your, uh, the learning process. You know what I mean? No, totally. I, I so, couldn't agree more. Do you find also that, um, did you ever have that aha moment where you go, ah, finally, after all this time, I see it. And you're able to now reproduce it as as a now that might be a tough question, but is that something that hmm. um, you you discovered and kind of go, oh, that's how they do that, and that's how now I'm going to do it consistently. Did you ever have that? Um, we could circle back, but that's a tough one. But no, no, a, a little bit I could say. Uh, so what I would say is like, um, I. Uh, just like any anyone else, I don't know. I, I like David Fincher. I think you know a lot of people, big fans of, of his movies. But um, I find also like when I find a director or people that I like, like I immediately am like, who shot it? Like who are they working with? Who? What is this? So like, um, uh, so his DP or who, who DPs from a lot is Jeff Cronwith. And uh, when they first did, they did um, House of Cards. Okay. Um, like that, that first series. So when I saw that, um, it was so like everything in it, like the light is like really, really clinical, but it's still a shape to it. Um, and it's like, how do they do that? How do you still, how do you get this kind of look about it? And um, it was, I ended up uh, reading in an interview uh, with Jeff, I think, talking about how one of the first things that they do is they just like literally the whole ceiling is like a big softbox where they're they're just setting a dim setting a dim of light um that just gets you there and then there's other sources that kind of start to come in and shape but it's just that kind of dim of light and when he said that it was like oh man you're you're he's it's 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 layers it's all layers everything is layers that you're that that they're lighting in and that and that they're doing in um and uh, getting on a commercial the next day that needed to be high key. And, All right, guys, we're at this whole like kitchen island, you know, that we're going to see. This is a big softbox that's going over it, and we're going to make it a toppy source, but it's going to be a dim. I want to keep this stop to, you know, real small. Let's start there. Let's see what it looks like in the monitor. So you see that and you start to get that effect in the monitor. You're like, oh, this is, yeah, okay, now we're building. And I think that maybe that's. I, to, to answer your question in maybe a roundabout way, I don't know if that's necessarily what you're looking for, but like I'll look for how how that that effect had kept, was achieved, and if I can take uh, a Diet Coke version of that into my own world, kind of, you know what I mean? No, totally. I I I, I would agree that um, uh, you you tend to adapt what you see, and if you could do it at, at that Diet Coke level or at that 
you know, we don't have riggers that can spend three days rigging a, a set. We, you know, yeah. uh, that's just not practical. But you certainly can figure out like how can I uh, at least accomplish that with a couple light panels or you know a, a couple of um, um, LED sheets and and still make it look like this is great. Like this is a great start. Now I see where they're coming from. Um, yeah, I think just to see light and and understand it and see it in everything, it seems that that's one of the things that you, um, you you know you've certainly um adapted um is is uh you know you you talk about some of the influences that you've used and, and seen you know there's so many great people who do this what do you do to to make yourself stand out what what if you were going to market yourself and give me the ele elevator pitch as a director or a producer why why would we want to hire you on um uh because I find uh, people at our level, I don't know about you, I, I, I don't have an IMDP page that, that you could scroll on, correct? It's usually, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a very short, um, uh, short uh, bio. How do you convince somebody to say, you know, you gotta trust me, I think we can, I can take you to that next level, you just gotta trust me. How do you do it? <laughs> um, wow, that's, I mean, that's a great question. I think right off the bat, uh, we work, <laughs> We work in a we work in a in a business that is built entirely off relationships. Um, so, uh, if I was going to have some sort of a cold pitch uh, with someone um, of that wanted to to work with me, um, I would probably say um, I I I work. Um, I feel like I I I work with like with two big with two main things. Okay. Obviously I work with my eyes because I'm a DP, uh, but I work with my gut um, and I work with what I uh, think the story needs, not what's most beautiful. Uh, and I'm here to be a problem solver uh, is what I would say um, to these people. I'm not, I don't have any sort of agenda. I wanna be malleable to what the story really needs. Um, and I wanna be that collaborator and I'm interested in other people that are chasing for that type of creative uh, and collaboration. Um, I, I think that I see things in a unique way. I actually think that everyone sees things in a unique way. I think that anyone can really be uh, a deep, because we all have a unique eye in what we kind of see and do and what we kind of go after. Um, I think that that eye that I have is tied to my emotion and it's tied to my feeling. And I try uh, very hard to think about what is in front of me, what lenses I'm using, what is the camera, how is the camera moving, um, and how is that, how are all of these things taken into account to develop that emotion and that feeling for that particular moment in time that we are trying to curate. Um, and uh, that's something that I think I do very well at. Uh, and I um, have spent a lot of time uh, kind of exercising that muscle um, and that muscle is something that is done in different processes where I love being with people in pre-production and dreaming about that thing, but at the same time, building and being uh, that kind of uh, teammate on set uh, with a director that can stand by them and say, I have your back, I'm gonna advocate you, we're gonna fight as hard as we can to get the image that you see and that you want and the feelings that you wanna see on screen, I'm right behind you, let's do this. Um, I feel like that's the type of collaborator that people would want. I feel like if I was a director, that's what I would want. If people were coming and saying, uh, 
um, I'm, I'm here to kind of support the vision. I have eyes to do things, but let's come together and, and see what we can make and see what we can do. I think that's the best, uh, the best foot forward, you know? No, couldn't agree more. That's, that's well stated. Do, do you feel then um, that once you, once you get uh, on the process um, that you're able to, you know, what, what's hard, sometimes you're stuck with what, what you're given, you know, this is the job, this, you, you, we were not, not going to support you. How, what are your, yeah. what are some of the things you, meaning because we don't have the budget, I, I can't get a first AC for you. It's basically yeah. be you and a gaffer and maybe a cam op if you're lucky and you probably are going to be the cam op. Have you, yeah. have you made those situations work as well? For sure. I think those situations, uh, again, it's a conversation uh, with the director or with producers ahead of time and just saying like, okay, very cool. We're very limited. Uh, let's talk about uh, just image quality and what we want to see. Obviously, this, these are not going to be uh, slow pushes, you know, into things. Uh, obviously, we're not going to have some sort of delicate light on a product, you know, uh, or if we are, give me the time, you know, give me, give me the time and I, and, and we can do that since there's only two people. Um, so I think it becomes a dialogue uh, and I start to look at different aspects of, okay, where, where's our location at? Do we have control over the time of day that we're shooting? Because that's another really big thing. Um, if I don't have light or people, you could start shooting at different times uh, to start getting qualities of light that you really want um, to start forcing um, a lot of quality within the frame while not having a lot of people maybe. Um, if I'm having restrictions uh, that's based on camera, uh, I'll, I'll lean on what that camera will give me. You know what I mean? Um, and I'll really, start I'll try to stay within maybe a dynamic range that's that's maybe not as well maybe something something else or um, uh, I'll try and bend the production so that the quality will lean towards what that production really needs and what and what it really is um, I think that that's probably the way that I'm, I'm, I'm coming at it is um, you know what's really at stake and how can I how can I squeeze as much quality out of this and still get the story and sometimes you know that that can be a hard conversation that can be like you know I'm sorry you want 20 shots but since there's only two people I think we're only going to be able to get 10 and if they're only going to be able to look this way and that's the give and a take I think that kind of happens within a project and I'm totally fine having that conversation I'll tell people uh even on any type of project in the beginning like I am going to dream big. I'm going to start to say, ooh, it can be this, it can be that, like reel me back in. And so that we can, I can start to see that size, that, that sandbox that we're playing in. Um, because maybe an idea that I have that you know, there could, could still play within that sandbox, you know, and it could, it could be something really cool. Even those small little jobs, there can be awesome, awesome things uh, that can still be had. Uh, with those things, uh, just based on even on a location, you walk into a location. Oh, man, this is perfect. This is oh, we don't get a ton of people. We could we could do this. Like that's way over here rather than there. You know. I think it goes back to your commando uh, DSLR days where you just had to make it work. When you we when do. you look when you look at um, your work and you compare it to, we have a scene in our shop. Does it look national? Does it or does it look like Ooh. you know? I, I that's that's one of the things we really try to uh, compare ourselves against, and and oftentimes it maybe approaches that. Is it consistent enough through the whole piece to feel that way? How do you what what do you use to 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 measure yourself? And, and look against, uh, look, not against, but uh, compare yourself to what's out there nationally. And like, what makes that the next level? 
And it's not just the camera. You shoot with the identical camera and lens, and you know that. What is that extra little sauce that makes that look like, oh, that's national? Extra little sauce that makes the look national. Um, the ex I mean, really, in all honesty, the extra little sauce that might make a look natural is, is the, the idea of it just having a colorist, like, and it just being like graded well. Uh, I think that, you know, that, that you see a lot of like, you could tell like when they're local ads, like their the color might be a little bit off or it might be, or some, something's just like, maybe, I don't know, uh, a, li a little, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a hard question. What, what, I guess the standard that I'm always holding uh, myself to is uh, it, it's like, the, the things that inspire me, the movies that are out there that inspire me, uh, commercials that I'll see that'll be like, ooh, wow, how did they get that look? That's really great. I'm gonna take a screen grab of that. Um, and uh, chasing after those looks. Uh, there's, have you ever heard of um, Shot Deck? Of course, chance? of course. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a subscriber. I'm sure, you, are you a beta subscriber? Oh Some, yeah. You can tell the <laughs> questions are asking, they're setting us up for this big fee. How much are you willing to oh, pay for all this? I know, dude, when they're like, they send you, they're like, give us the feedback <laughs> and let us know, what would you pay for this? Yeah, exactly. They're hooking us in, mean, right? It, it's like the oh, totally. cornerstone uh, uh, <laughs> drug dealer. It's definitely true. Uh, it's, it's definitely true, but it's it's such a resource though, because I love looking at those frames and kind of going through and, and, and seeing, and I feel like that's that's the standard that I'm holding myself to. Um, and that I'm trying for and just, I mean, dude, the other thing is like, well, Instagram. I mean, I don't know how many DPs, commercial DPs I follow on Instagram and you open it up and I got yeah, put it away sometimes. It's like, it's too why much. do I do this? These people are so good. My God, like, I, I'm convinced incredible. Chivo could put a toilet roll up there, a roll of toilet paper up there and get like, oh, 137,000 likes and just like, yeah. I God, I never looked at the, the you know, I, and part of it is, you know, you're commenting on Chivo that I, I swear it's self-serving, but it always cracks me up to see, God, I, it's good Chivo, but really a hundred, you know, like <laughs> that, always, no, that, totally. that, that always cracks me up. So yeah. um, I have a go ahead. Please. I have a question for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, Can please. I ask you a question? Of course. I love it. Okay, so this and this is something I feel like I ask people uh, on set sometimes. Um, so I feel like uh, we all like like I said before, like what you what we like what we do. This this is a hard job. You know, it's not easy. Uh, so when you are when you get into it, um, I feel like there's like a movie or something that like that that grabbed you like when either you were a kid or a teen or something where you were like, that kind of stayed with you to where you're like, maybe I should do this or maybe there's something there. What movie did you, you see that where it was like, oh, like this is, this is this, I, I would like to do this for maybe a living one day. This is, or that I would like to chase after. There's something special here. Do you remember what that is? Absolutely. Uh, one, one of the uh, one of the main uh, uh, movies was uh, Tree of Life, 
and I don't know if you've ever seen that that movie. Oh and, yeah. Oh my and, God. Are you kidding? Emmanuel Levinsky, Chivo. Here we go. It's it, it just cra- it, crazy, right? Um, that just the way that shot. I like to shoot things like that. I go, let's treat a life this one, you know, because I I, I just love shooting that way. Um, another movie was uh, I'm trying to recall the the one that just had um, everything together, and really it was a it was more of a storytelling movie than anything. I mean, all the uh, all the um, um, Raider series or Star Wars wasn't shot particularly well, but I, I actually liked you know Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark series um, how that how that uh, uh, came out. And there was one more movie, and uh, we'll have to edit this out because I'm obviously when you, you hit me like this, like oh, there's a thousand that's coming in my brain. No, they're just like it's start to yeah. Such an sure. un- unfair question, um, uh, but a, <laughs> but a great but a great one. Um, there certainly are movies that still hold. I, I, I was just watching this the other day, uh, like uh, some Turner stuff. It just happened to be on. I was going, man, they really had a good sensibility of like this is would be a very current look today, which we're all because yeah. it was shot on film, obviously, correct? Oh um, yeah, oh I, yeah. I, I but I, I tend to I tend to gravitate toward those uh, those types of movies. And there's one more movie, and I, I'm sure I'll think about it after that. Um, I, I, I said that that is just a crafted work of art and that uh that's how i want to shoot so i'm gonna i if i'm gonna stick to one it's the I, a tree of life was one that definitely said that i, I just like the, the the way that's colored and graded i mean uh yeah. um, the the uh what is it uh uh oh god all right anyway we'll we'll, we'll skip ahead and we'll i'm sure I'll we can, come yeah back we, can, we, we can we can come back no come no but I, I i there's there's other there's a couple things too and and what i I think what you bring up about a colorist is super interesting on um, that. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's the, that I've seen movies made um, maybe locally, maybe around and, and, and you tell their lower budget and, and you ask yourself, why does even a Netflix film, of course they have the budget look to my eye, just better and not low budget. And, and I, mm. I really try are, are, uh, to, to discern that. So, do you use uh, when you use instances uh, and and frame grabs? Are you a frame grabber, and how do you how do you break that scene down once you frame grab? Hmm. Uh, explain that frame grab. What so, am I doing? So, for, like, for example, <laughs> like with, with shot deck, and you 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 grab a screenshot and you put oh. it up on your monitor. Is there anything you like to do to break that down, or do you have a process of what you're seeing, or you just go, okay, this is where the light's coming from, or whatnot? How do you break that down? Um, I'll do two things. Uh, I can look at the tone of it, uh, of just like what, uh, what the overall, uh, image is, is look, actually, maybe it's not two things. It's the, I'm looking at the tone of it. And what I'll do is I'll take whatever that is, uh, that movie or something, and I can put it into my Flanders and I can hit my false color on it. And you can start to see, uh, the, the different values. I love that tool because you can see very quickly um, <clears throat> how they're shifting their background and their foreground uh, and, and the different values that they're bringing to kind of make certain things. And if they're holding windows or if they're not holding windows, these are all clues um, as to what they're maybe doing. And, um, and because of American cinematographer and what's online and things like that, you can find out what they were shooting on, obviously, yeah, you know, the, the camera, maybe even like the stop, or or some of the rules that they made to get that effect. Um, so, things that I'm like pulling up, yeah, I'll definitely be looking at like, yeah, where's the directional directionality of the light, especially especially as it lands on a face. 
um, and as it's actually shaping someone's face. Um, but qualities of light, do I, am I seeing lots of hard shafts of light? Is this just nothing but soft light? How contrasty is this? Do I think they put negatives all around because man, those darks are like dense. Like how are they, how are they kind of getting that? So I think taking whatever frame grabs that, yeah, I can grab within like shot deck um, or just within a movie and sending those to the monitor um, and being, being able to see those values really quickly is super valuable. Just even ratios. And also I, I do that as well with even what IRE are they shooting skin tones? You know, like you're, you're thinking like, what, what are they consistently doing? Especially when clients say we want it to look like this. The first thing I'll do is throw it in there and kind of go, okay, this is the look, it, it, this is the look you want. At least I have a baseline, yeah. a baseline to do that. Um, that's awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn yeah. the tables on you and say, all right, what movie were you influenced by, to yeah. to or 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 series that made you say maybe I can do this? Okay, so uh, this this is this is an easy one, and maybe this is something I should have actually started with uh, before. <clears throat> so when I was in around like high school, going into college, like around that time. Uh, I uh, had gotten like dumped by a girl and was super and was just heartbroken. And uh, uh, friends of mine were like, let's go see, there's a new movie, it just came out, let's go, it's crazy. I'm like, all right, fine, like it's called Eternal Sunshine, it's Spotless Mind. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Jim Carrey's in it, whatever. Like, so I go. And just like that movie just like, it was, it blew my mind, it was great. And it was partially because of where I was at because I was just this angsty, heartbroken teen. Um, but at the same time was like, oh my God, I, that's what I, th this is incredible how uh, everything that, like the, the, the story hit me so hard where you, I just wanted to, to have that feeling of erasing, you know, memories and things. But then what, what kind of hooks you is like, look how creative this is, this is, this is happening. Look at, look at the nuances. And, and I, that's some of some of the things of like what what really hooked me into like really falling in love with film is because I would find something like that and I would say oh my god this is incredible like how 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 who did this who is this? okay that's Michel Gondry oh my god okay so let's see that so you you then you dive into all of his music videos and his, his like and, and everything with that but then as I kind of get down further down the line I will revisit that movie every now and then or I would revisit it and I would say who shot that? Why is that important? Ellen Curis shot that. Why, like, what was she doing in that? This was all handheld. They were utilizing a lot of in-camera effects to give you that feeling. Um, uh, and they were playing with a lot of things in camera to make you feel certain things. And once I started learning about that, you start feel like, oh my God, there's power in that. There's so much power in that. I never felt like I could impose what I was feeling onto another person based on what just a few images are. Um, and that was something that was really interesting. And that, that just led to a bunch of different, it snowballed into like, uh, like another, like Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh my God. Like discovering him was like such a huge thing. And then discovering Robert Ellswit, uh, his DP and like, what, what were the decisions that he was making on a lot of those things? Um, so yeah. Things like that. So I guess that's the movie that like really kind of got me uh, was Eternal Sunshine, where it really kind of it was like any other movie that I 
that I had seen. The camera was doing a lot of lifting in telling that story. Um, and uh, I don't know if I'd ever had like a movie kind of like meet me where I was in that sense. You know what I mean? I, I think before that I'd never thought about them in that in that regard where it was just entertainment. Uh, and then uh, I would, it, but there was something with that one where I just couldn't forget about it. And I feel like that's probably what it is, or at least what I assume with people uh, that get into this indus industry is there's a movie that's in them that they can't really forget about, you know? There's a feeling and a scene and there's something that happens that they can't really forget about. Um, or at least that is with me. Well, I find that journey also has to be uh, accomplished by what you see. It doesn't always translate to what you shoot or ends up on your on your uh, editing in your editing suite. How do you yeah. get? Yeah, and and I think a lot of this journey is, uh, you know, narrowing that gap to kind of go. All right, I envision that, and pretty much is what it turned out like. That's when you know maybe that you you've you somehow got it a little bit, you know, because it, yeah. well, it's, it's lifelong learning. Listen, uh, Caleb, thanks for coming on. And uh, what, where yeah. can we find you, first of all? For sure. Um, so uh, my website, uh, www.calebcrossin.com. Um, all my work is up there. Uh, my reel is up there. I'm, I'm also on Vimeo. Um, you can search Caleb Crossin uh, on Vimeo and I'll, I'll show up there. You can see my work there. And then I'm on Instagram. Um, my tag is Caleb Cross and DP. Um, so go and follow me there. And uh, I love posting screen grabs and BTS. And um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Hit me up. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. No problem. Anytime. What a fun interview between the two. Um, definitely two DPs. Mutual respect for each other. Uh, it's just great to hear. And um, there'll definitely be a part two for sure. Um, we talked about it uh, off air, but um, expect that sometime soon. And uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll wrap up today's episode of Spokes. Uh, we want to thank Caleb Crossan for coming on and talking about his experiences and his work. Uh, again, great conversation. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or want to listen to previous ones, log on to redbicyclemedia.com slash podcast. Uh, make sure to rate and review on your preferred podcasting platform and click on subscribe and follow. We are on social at Red Bicycle Media, all one word. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time.